to tell you about uh, one of my son's friends down in North Carolina. His name is Lloyd, and he told me the story one time of the worst job that he ever had, which was as a barista at Starbucks. Now, you might think on the surface that that would be a good job because you're catering to the polite and the sophisticated, unlike a lot of many uh, uh, minimum wage jobs. But his experience was not very positive. As you know, people can be pretty picky when it comes to their coffee. And one time, he was asked to make a cappuccino. But when he served it to the man, the man claimed that that wasn't what he ordered, and what he wanted was what the person in front of him had ordered, which, as it turned out, wasn't a cappuccino, but a frappuccino. And so Lloyd went back to work, and he dutifully corrected the miscommunication, and then he gave the man what he wanted, a frappuccino. Only the man said, uh, yeah, I'd like to speak with the manager, because, you see, I don't think I should have to pay for this because I had to wait and I lost all this time while you made it. I don't need to tell you what Lloyd wanted that man to do with his frappuccino. Let me ask you a question. How long is the fuse on your love range? Who are the people in your lives who had that uncanny ability to push all your buttons and get under your skin. Maybe it's a boss who thinks he walks on water. Maybe it's an in-law who, who just ruins all the family get-togethers. Maybe it's a spouse who has such a sharp tongue that they just want to drag you down to their level of unhappiness. Yes, this is a sermon you can apply on the way home today. <laughs> we all have those kinds of people in our lives. These are the people that you just have to thank God for because whenever we're with them, we find ourselves calling upon the name of the Lord. There have probably been times in your life when you've been like Lloyd, but I bet there have been plenty of times in your life when you've been like that customer at Starbucks. And still we wonder, how long is the embrace of God's love? And more importantly, am I really sure that God's arm span includes me. Well, this morning I want to try to get into a little bit more what that might look like in our life of faith. And so I invite you to join me as we look at some beautiful words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. This is kind of the signature text. This is the basis for my sermon series this month on the dimensions of God's love. Listen to what Paul says, beginning in verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. God, we pray now that you would open up our hearts and minds to, to hear and embrace that which we most need from you. Be with each person sitting here in this room or who is watching 
far from wherever they may be. Be with the one who stands before to proclaim your word. And we pray it and ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the things that is interesting to me is that Paul says in the scripture reading that we are to grasp the length of God's love. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, the word uh, grasp in the Greek is the word katalambano, which means to lay hold of or to seize with one's mind. Now, I think what Paul is saying is that we can have something in our lives without truly grasping it without truly knowing it, without, without having it make a real difference in our lives. For example, you came to faith in Jesus Christ, and when you did, you became God's child objectively. You were signed, sealed, and delivered as belonging to Him for all of eternity. But that is not the same as grasping God's love in your life experientially. A few years ago, I was with my uh, Princeton Seminary buddies at a Seattle Mariners baseball game. And you're going to see some pictures on the screen. And at the ticket booth, they told us that the cheapest tickets were $15, and we were going to have to sit way up high in the upper deck bleachers. Well, sitting seats that high up were going to make those players look like ants. And we were looking to experience something more than that. Well, just then, the ticket booth operator told us that if we wanted to pay just a little bit more, we could sit in what was called the King's Court because King Felix Hernandez was pitching that night for the Seattle Mariners. And that meant that we could sit in a section down the left field line with all the other fans, get a t-shirt and a K-card, which we were to hold up whenever King Felix Hernandez came close to striking someone out. That night, we had two Seattle Mariners games in our realm. Now, one game was way up high in the nosebleed section of Safeco Field, but the other was out in the King's Court with all those other crazy Mariner fans. Here's the point. Sometimes I think that we as Christians let the upper deck be the definition of our faith. And what we think is, you know, what really matters is just being there. I mean, after all, isn't half of life just showing up? And as long as I said hi and, and out of the way and not get too involved and keep Jesus Christ or even, yes, chestnut level Presbyterian at arm's length, then everything will be just fine. But it's quite another to go to Safeco Field on a September night in Seattle. See it, taste it, grasp it. Or even better, look back over our own lives and have a conversation with God that, that deals with our own daily walk with Him. Yes, we have Jesus Christ in our hearts. And yes, that's a good thing. But the Christian life is also about turning information into a sensation and turning that sensation into something that is transformative, something that changes us from the inside out. When that happens, and only, I think, when that happens, are we able to, to understand Paul's words here and grasp how high, how wide, how long, how deep is Christ's love so that you may experience the full measure of the fullness of God. You see, that night, when I was with my seminary buddies, we didn't just attend a Seattle Mariners baseball game. We grasped a Seattle Mariners baseball game. 
As we look at the dimensions of God's love this morning, the question I want you to mull over in your minds is how long, how long? Because friends, the, the mind-blowing bandwidth of God's love extends to all people of all races, of all nations, and in all places. And sadly, as we kind of look at the world around us, what have we done? We've, we've sliced it and diced it and chopped it up and shrunk it into these tiny little warring factions. Now here I'll make a confession to you. I've been watching some of the news on TV about all the political turmoil and upheaval in Washington. I kind of almost wish that there was a way to slip something in the water to give the people over there some amnesia so that they would wake up and not remember all the need for partisan bickering, seething bitterness, zero-sum game goal of helping create this great divide that we have in our country so that nothing gets done. And no one seems to have the best interest of the country in mind. God, God goes like this. Doesn't need a grabber either. God goes like this. And what do we do? We fold our arms and we're like this. And sadly, our default mode becomes an us versus them. In other words, hey, I'm wearing the halo. <laughs> You've got the horns. We do that because we have a, a deep distrust of people who, who, who we don't agree with. We have a deep distrust for the stranger who doesn't see things exactly the way we do. And when it comes right down to it, I'm not really sure I want God's love to reach those who act, look, dress, think, or speak differently from me. And yet when we come to the Scriptures, we find with Jesus, He, he never met a stranger. He, he went out into this shattered, broken, messed up world to bring the thems into us's. Paul, Paul Johnson is an eminent British historian, and he said more than any other human who has ever lived, Jesus made people feel treasured. Jesus made people feel treasured. Because after listening to, to Jesus, people say, wow, there really is a God who, who cares about the number of hairs on my head. And Jesus had a lot of skills, but one of the most dazzling skills was a people skill. The way he had the ability to turn the thems into us's. For example, in John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling through Samaria, which most Jews didn't do. And he went out of his way to strike up a conversation with a woman who, get this, was four times divorced. Samaritan woman. And he walked up and like a true southern gentleman from North Carolina, he said, ma'am, may I trouble you for a drink of water? Now, if he was truly Southern, it would have been iced tea, but you get the picture, right? Je Jesus never knew a stranger. And if we truly know him, then neither will we. I think we try to do that a lot of ways here at Chestnut Level. A couple of ways is, is through our Jacob's Ladder on nursery school. Yeah, there are members of the church who have the children here. But people are not part of this church. I have the kids here. We try to do it through our, through our Wednesday Night Alive meal. We try to reach out with food to the strangers who are around us. 
cup your ear and listen closely. You hear the sound of the crash of a wall going down and the thems becoming us. I think that God wants to take these alligator arms and pull and pull and pull and pull and pull and pull us and pull the thems into the arm span of Jesus Christ. And that means there's a challenge before us. That means we gotta, we got to reach out even further and go beyond the thems. And yes, those who are different, those who act, think, dress, won't see things exactly like we do. The other thing about the length of God's mercy is that means you have to extend it to even people who may have hurt you. We can demonstrate the length of God's love by extending forgiveness to those who have wronged us. The person in your life who used to be in us until they did the unthinkable. They hurt you. And now your heart has flung them out into the farthest regions of, let's just call it themdom. Believe it or not, God wants us to grow arms long enough to reach, yes, even them. And, and. To forgive them. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. John, you're crazy. <laughs> you're out of your mind if you think I'm going to let something like that go. That hurt is still with me even all these years later. There's no way I can say it's okay. It doesn't matter. I know it's hard. I do. But the first step in the process of forgiving someone is to, in no uncertain terms, state the wrongness of the wrong that they did to you. But then, you also need to let them off the hook. you got to. You don't press charges. Instead, you say, I, I will absorb this injury. In other words, when we forgive, we, we, we place the blame where it rightfully belongs, but we don't punish. And then after we release them from any punishment, that means you got to do one thing more. you got to release them from any guilt. Just as God did for us on the cross of His Son. You know, and so often when we forgive, when we forgive, we, we keep beating people up with a guilt stick. And, and I think that true forgiveness is when we reach over and we take that, that burden that is on another person's shoulder we lift it off, and as, as Corey Ten Boom so beautifully said, we hurl it into the ocean and to the deepest uh, parts of it, and over it we put a, a sign that says no fishing. You just have to let that offense go, poof, into oblivion. Because you see, God not only takes away our guilt and punishment, but Scripture explicitly states that God does not even remember our sin. And it's kind of like God gets this blessed Alzheimer's when it comes to our sin. God, God just can't remember. I love what Veroslav Volf once said. When you forgive someone, you take their deed and rob it of a future. You take their deed and you rob it of a future. God says, what I've done for you, you also must do for each other. And so in our length, we say to the world, as Paul says in a different place in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, 
I have been crucified with Christ, and the life I now live is no longer my life, but the life Christ lives in me. I'll close with the story. Jonathan Masango is a South African pastor. And in South Africa several years ago, he, he found himself caught between a rock and a hard place. The black Africans were coming toward him, threatening him, telling him what he must preach. And the white Africans were coming to him, telling him what he must not preach. And he came to this country to study and to try to figure out what in the world God was calling him to do. Well, when a hard tide ended, Jonathan and his family returned to their native South Africa. Because of his gifts and skills, he quickly got noticed by some other church leaders, and he was named to the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. What was that? Well, the task of this uh, committee commission was to travel around the nation of South Africa and give people under apartheid the opportunity to come clean and tell about the, 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 the horrible things they did. To tell the truth. And then the commission would determine what was the best way for the people in that community to then be reconciled to one another. And so Jonathan Masango tells him one day the commission went to a village. The village was assembled, and a young man stepped forward to tell about a horrible deed that he did years earlier. He confessed that he had come to a village, kidnapped the young man, took him outside the village, and then, quote, necklaced him. Would you like to know what necklacing is? It's not pretty. Necklacing is probably the most gruesome way that you could ever kill a person in which you place an old tire over that person, you pin their arms to their side, you light that uh, uh, tire with gas, and, and then it catches on fire, and that person is burned alive. And this man stepped forward before the whole village and said, I, I, did, I did it. Well, just then there was a woman, and she stood up and said, that was my son. I remember that night. I'll never forget it. Everybody in the room held their breath. Once everybody gathered their wits, the commission asked, what would you like for us to do? And so the woman looked long and hard at this young terrorist. And she said, I want you to make him take me to the place where they burn my son, collect the earth where his ashes are mixed in, and bring them back so that we can give my son a decent burial. Yeah. She pointed at the man. This man who had done an unspeakable, horrible thing. And she said, commission, and then I want you to make him come home with me and make him my son. Silence was fell at the astonishing length of God's love that filled that room. And the people spontaneously broke out into singing the hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It's highly unlikely that any of us will ever have to forgive someone for something like that. Friends, may God grant you his amazing grace as you reach out each and every day in length with his love. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the length of your reach and the strength of your grip and that even in times when we do not feel you, that yours is a love that will not let us go. Help us to grasp tightly the height, length, width, and depth of your love. May, may we start seeing people right now as you see them. 
and open up our arms so that they are not the thems, but the us's. Give to each of us forgiveness in our hearts for those who have hurt us. And may we all experience that forgiveness when we have wronged or hurt another person. Give us your peace and your presence this day. And we give you thanks that your love touches us right here, right now in this room. And that it goes on and on and on into eternity. And hear us, O Lord, as with one voice and one faith, together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.